Vanetics with Gabriel of Urantia and Neon Emerson Chase. An ongoing series of lectures and teachings on spiritual leadership, personal change, and the principles of divine administration. Part of the curriculum of the University of Ascension Science and the Physics of Rebellion. More information can be found at UASPR.org. This episode is titled God's Timing versus Your Timing. Here is Neon Emerson Chase. I want each one of you in here to think about a time, and I know you have at least one time in your lifetime done this, where you've jumped the gun in a situation. <laughs> you know, you got too much in a hurry. Uh, you know, you, you decided to do something before you really should have. I want each one of you to think of one time that you've done that. I'll give you just a half a minute to recall that situation. What was the consequence? How did this moving too fast affect you? And how did it affect others that were involved in this situation? Now, that's an example. When you were operating in your time, in your agenda, in your timetable. Now I want you to think of a time when you didn't jump the gun, when you didn't rush in even though you wanted to, but you were open and receptive to the idea that it wasn't what God wanted. And sometimes it's okay to have a bridle put on you when it's the bridle of God. So think of a time when you really wanted to automatically jump in, rush in, and you didn't. You controlled yourself. What were the consequences there? How did that affect you? And how did that affect the others? In that time, you were operating out of God's timetable. And many times you don't even really see the highest consequences, the highest results of moving in God's timetable rather than your own. Usually, you're going to see immediate results of moving in your own timetable. And you won't even be aware of the far-reaching consequences and results of moving in your own timetable, but they're there. And we see the consequences of Lucifer, Caligastia, Adam and Eve choosing to move in their timetable rather than God's. We're suffering right now the results of that. And those events happened 200,000 years ago and about 38,000 years ago when those personalities made those decisions. And of course, they're a lot bigger because they had tremendous responsibility. They had not only a system, some of them, Lucifer had a system that he was responsible for. Caligastia, Adam and Eve, they had a planet, this planet here. Regardless Every single culture and society on this planet is suffering the symptoms of operating under 
the timetable of human beings who are not in divine pattern. Basically, they're operating under the timetable of Lucifer and his manifesto. <clears throat> One of those is that fast-moving, rushing, jumping the gun. We have a fast-paced society here in this country, and it expects instant gratification, and each one of us can look very carefully at ourselves and see that within us, too. We're used to being in an age of fast food, fast sex, fast relationships, uh, fast wealth, notoriety. We want it all, and we want it right now. And we don't want to have to put a lot of effort into any of it. And if a relationship doesn't work out, we're out of it just like that. When we come to planetary headquarters, we have those symptoms. And right away in the Melchizedek schools of self-evaluation, we begin to be educated about those symptoms that are a result of the Lucifer Manifesto. And we very quickly, even more quickly now than a year ago, begin to recognize those things in ourselves. Because here we're being called to accelerate that spiritual growth. In order for us to rush into our spiritual growth and accelerate it, we're asked, first of all, to slow down. Slow down from what we are bringing in. How many of you know, and you have, you know, you go, oh, I don't, I can't meditate. My mind just can't quiet down. It just goes all the time. How many of you have that problem? Yeah, that mind chatter. Yeah. And if we could hear it, it'd be like a, a clanging gong, probably very, very irritating. By the way, we do put out a resonance, a sound. I can imagine what some of us, when we first got here, sounded like. <laughs> we probably sound a lot better now, right? And we also put out a fragrance. Can you imagine what we smelled like when we first got here? And Gabriel said over and over again, that it's very important that we learn how to hear from God ourselves individually and not have to rely always on someone else. That we, we have the resources. We do have those within us. But we have to move into that place. And we first of all have to slow down and begin to move out of our agendas and our timetable and into God's timetable. We have to get rid of a lot of things. And that's, that's a rough process. We know, too, that in the uh, dominant culture, when you turn on the television, when you turn on the radio, it is noise. It is nerve-wracking. It's like when I hear that a lot of times, especially commercials, it feels like my particles are just flying apart and starting to get chaotic and crazy. And I've never been able to, ever since a child, really hear much television, especially in the background, and I can hardly stand the radio because of that, because it's what I call nowhere noise. It really is. And all of us, when we come here and we want to clean up, we have to get rid of that nowhere noise that's going on in our mind. And we be, have become used to it. We've become attached to it. A lot of the so-called music is not music at all. We have to get rid of that noise and we have to begin to quiet our minds. We have to slow down so that we can fill it with the celestial music <clears throat> and the constant chatter that we do. How many of you, your conversations have changed? Maybe you don't chatter as much as you used to. How many of you notice that? That your mouth doesn't have to be going all the time when you're around someone. And then when it is going, how many of you notice that the, the language you use is different? You're using higher language. Yeah. We're all realizing that. We have to quit that rushing after that non-reality. 
and illusion. And we do that by slowing down. And when we slow down and when we begin to then be receptive to the leading of the Spirit of God, then we can begin to relinquish our personal agendas, those established ideas and beliefs that we have that really are not reality and keep us in our little boxes of mediocrity and misery. And then we can begin to, as we begin to hear from the higher divine sources, we can quit hearing then from those outside sources that are so wrapped up in their own selfishness, their own manipulative ways and their own agendas. We don't have to listen to them anymore. We don't have to fill our minds. And when we do that, then we can begin to move into God's timetable and out of our own. We can move more into that spiritual wisdom. And it's that spiritual wisdom that we start gaining where we can discern each situation, assess each situation. And we have to realize then, begin to recognize when that rushing is, is moving so fast in Lu the Lucifer manifesto. Now, Lucifer was caught into this himself. He caught into this, um, the idea of rushing. He taught 200,000 years ago. He taught that evolutionary mortals did not need all the ministry and training that the finaliters and Christ Michael of Nebadon um, provided for them. He said that's all a waste of time. So right there, he bought into the fast ascension process that you could do it much quicker. And of course, you didn't have to put much effort into it. It was going to be real easy. So, so as a result of that now, 200,000 years later, we do not want to accept the cosmic truth and reality that spiritual ascension does take effort and time. Each one of us here has had to re-educate ourselves about that one. But for all of us women who have had babies and been through labor, we all realize that you don't just go put a dime in and you have a baby. That we have to labor. First of all, there's nine months of carrying that baby and the body has to labor and nurture that baby and take care of it. Then when it's time to bring the baby forth, we have to cooperate with our body in divine pattern, and that's called labor, and it literally is labor, as we birth a whole new creature. We here, each one of us, are in spiritual label, labor. We're trying to birth our real identity. We're trying to birth our God-given personality. And so we have to shed that little human self-made identity that is not reality and is not of eternal value. That's our little tiny self, yammering and clamoring and just as noisy as can be. Well, the majority of people on this planet have bought into the Lucifer teaching that you really don't need to do much. So now you can go and take a weekend class and become an avatar. <laughs> You can send in $300 and become a pipe carrier. You can become an instant shaman or shamaness. We have, I don't know how many psychics and healers running around here. And yet, as Jesus would say to them, physician, first heal thyself. And if you have any discernment, you go in up 
to one of these new age bookstores and want to pay $35 to someone who's going to read your cards and give you a reading. And if you really discern them, you realize that they themselves are a lost child, completely um, out of tune, out of balance, and need to find their source and their God themselves. But yet they bought into that thing, that idea that you can have instant spirituality. It can be so easy and so fast. There should be hundreds of thousands of people in some manner already aligned to planetary headquarters here. When the Urantia book came out in 1955, it should have been on the bestseller list. Why wasn't it? Why is there still such a small, small, tiny number of people in comparison to the population just in this country reading the Urantia book? We're not even getting into continuing fifth yet. You know why? They take one look at this book and it terrifies them. To read this book means work. First of all, you have to know how to read decently. Then when you open it up and you realize that it's not see Dick and Jane play, and all of a sudden you realize, my gosh, this is heavy-duty stuff. This is going to challenge my own belief system. This makes me feel about this small. Especially if you've had a couple PhDs and you think that, you know, that you know everything and you, you look at this, that's why people haven't been reading this book. That's why this isn't on the bestseller list. This is why not every Christian church, every Buddhist monastery, every, every religious organization has not grabbed onto this and said, here's the next holy book. This is truly the holy book. This is the new revelation. It takes too much work. It challenges who you are and your foundation. You can no longer be on that plateau. You're going to have to start climbing again. Most people don't want that. Why? For all those people in the New Age movement that are seeking truth, that are looking, why don't they grab onto this? Because it's too much work. Too much work. You walk into a New Age bookstore, you've got all kinds of books there. And they have such tantalizing covers. And they're so wonderful to read because you can read through them so fast. Why is the Celestine Prophecy on the best-selling list? Why is, what is it, down under mutant whatever, um, mutant message? Why is that so popular? And yet, nobody hardly is touching this. Why is that? Because those are simple. They're easy. And they don't challenge where you're at. They don't shake your faulty foundations. They allow you to stay in your own timetable. Yes, it's fun to read about all the aborigines and how absolutely superior they are to um, the barbaric Americans. And they are to a certain extent. But no one, it's not asking you to go become an aborigine, of course, because in a way you would be regressing in many ways. When you start reading Revelation, which this is, and which continuing fifth is, Cosmic Family Volumes, it begins to challenge you. You begin to shake because that's what Revelation does. All the Celestine Prophecy does, and the other book I mentioned, and there's many, many, many others. Those are two that are real popular now. Is this? They just patch on the back and say, well, things are going to get better. 
basically. And you can stay in your little system. You can stay in this luciferic third dimensional system and just make a few little shifts and changes. Quit eating McDonald's fast food and start eating grubs. That's what the Aborigines do. They don't, they don't really ask that. But that's about what the message is in that one. Anywhere. But you got to move out of all of that. And so you have to begin to replace that luciferic language of that third dimension of materialism and of rushing, rushing frantically and going nowhere with cosmic language. And the only way you're going to do that is with a revelation. And the fifth revel epical revelation to the planet for us now is not going back and hanging out with aborigines who have never evolved for the last, what, 5,000 years. From, they haven't changed at all. They've been on that plateau the whole time, just like that. That is not life. And scientists will tell you, as well as the revelation will tell you, that life means evolution and moving forward. That's what it's all about. Life on a physical plane, on a mindful plane, and on a spiritual plane. And if you're not evolving and moving forward, you're not really living. So why is there the fascination with the primitive tribes? Because the Western civilization, I'm going to use the term the first world, because that's the terminology that's used in the third uh, mention a lot. And the first world is your, your high-tech societies. It's, it's Western civilization. It's the capitalists. It's the ones who have control financially and politically, basically over the whole world. The waste makers, the materialism. It's the spiritually impoverished world. But they have much power in this world. Well, that first world moved too quickly because they took shortcuts. They bought in. The first world is a product of a Lucifer manifesto. And remember, part of the Lucifer manifesto is that it doesn't, you don't need to spend much energy and time on spiritual growth. Another part of that Lucifer, Lucifer manifesto is that you don't need to have a sense of responsibility for anyone else. No sense of cosmic responsibility. All you need to worry about is yourself. And you need to take care of yourself. So he taught personal liberty and self-assertion. Also, he taught that really, you know, there is no universal father at all. There really isn't. Can you see him? Can you prove that he exists? So there's the denial of God, the death of God. He taught that too. And so with all of that, then deviating completely from cosmic reality and divine pattern, you have societies that rush, 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 have no idea of reality. And so they're rushing forward um, in, in their evolution, in their institutions, and scientifically, but it's not paralleled with spiritual evolution. So that when people make scientific discoveries, they do not have this, the ethics, the morality, the sense of responsibility. So they don't care what the consequences are, the far-reaching. They just want to rush into it and get instant gratification, instant profit. Thus, we have the ecological disaster that we have. And then this, the ones of the fourth world, way out there.
those people who are not moving forward and haven't, we in this industrialized, high-tech, insane, rush-rush society, we look at those people that are living out there on the desert as sane. And in some way, they are saner than us because they're not rushing, you know. But the only thing they can do is survive. Their whole life is spent surviving physically. Their religion is steeped in superstition. And they may have some truth in that religion. And so they are saner, some of those cultures, than this high-tech culture that we're all products of. But they aren't the answer. We aren't to go back that way. Because they haven't moved forward either at all. Because all religions should be moving forward. All societies should be moving forward. And when they don't, they're not, they're dead too. So you've got the, one that, the ones that are rushing headfirst into disaster too quickly. And then you have those that aren't going anywhere. And so what happens to them? They have no power on this broken planet and they are being destroyed too. And they're being eaten up and exploited by the first world. And so the only hope is through revelation and creating a new culture a new society that truly does evolve. It evolves physically, it evolves mindily, and it evolves spiritually. And then all of the culture is built around that and nurtures that moving forward and that evolving. And it doesn't nurture just fast pacing, rushing forward in your own timetable. It doesn't nurture self-assertion. It nurtures that you have a responsibility to every other living person around you. You have a responsibility to the universal Father, to other planets, to other systems, to other universes, that you have an impact, that you have a destiny, that it all doesn't just start and end here, that it continues and that you can continue too. <clears throat> and so then this culture here is... is that we're creating here is emphasizing then moving out of that timetable into God's timetable and learning what that is. I had mentioned Adam and Eve before. I mentioned Caligastia. Caligastia, 200,000 years, the fallen planetary prince. He de deviated from that divine pattern and wanted to rush up evolution. He wanted to get out of God's timing and rush it. And so he messed with that and a disaster happened. I'm not going to get into that, but you can read about that in the Urantia book. The same thing with Eve and Serapitatia and Cano. Um, you're, all of you Urantia book readers are familiar with this. He rushed into that, that and they wanted to speed up certain natural uh, biologic uplifting processes, just like the scientists today are. It ended, ended up in disaster, and we're suffering the consequences of that now. So that third dimensional society of Luciferic reality does nurture then what we're going to, what we call manic behavior. And almost every single one of us has suffered at one time or another manic be behavior when we wanted to rush too much and our hearts started beating and we got panicky. And manic behavior comes when we have a lack of faith and trust in God and His divine pattern. 
when we want to have control and when we feel like we're losing control, so we begin to rush things up. That's what happened. That's what Lucifer did, Caligastia did, Eve, Serapatia, and Cano. They decided things were moving too slowly. They were impatient. And so they wanted to take control. And so on, in each one of us, in our own small ways, when we feel like we're losing our own personal control, we get into that manic behavior too, and then we get out of God's timetable. Here at Planetary Headquarters, we joke around a lot about, um, there's about three different places in the Ranch Book where it states that Jesus was never in a hurry, that he, that he always had time to minister to those who truly deserved it and were receptive of it. But he wouldn't give time to people who really didn't um, want it. He had that discernment. But the reason that Jesus wasn't in a hurry is because he was in God's timing, moment to moment. So he flowed and he was flexible. He had to adapt his own personal schedule every day to God's schedule and things that would come up. We too are finding that we have to do that, that we need to do that. There's a beautiful place in the Arantia book, one time when um, Jesus was visiting the Lazarus home and he visited it quite a bit. Martha and Mary, Lazarus' sisters were there. And on page 1797, just at the very, very bottom, you guys don't have to necessarily open up your books. This is a quick one. <clears throat> this time when Jesus was visiting there. So on this occasion, I've moved on up to the top of page 1798 now. While Lazarus and Mary sat at Jesus' feet drinking in his refreshing teaching, Martha made ready to serve the evening meal. It should be explained that Martha was unnecessarily distracted by numerous needless tasks and that she was cumbered by many trivial cares. That was her disposition. She was in her own agenda and on her own timetable. So as Martha bustled around and busied herself with all these supposed duties. She was perturbed because Mary did nothing to help. Therefore, she went to Jesus and said, Master, do you not care that my sister has left me alone to do all of the serving? Does this sound familiar? Does anyone relate? Will you not bid her to come and help me? And Jesus answered, Martha, Martha, why are you always anxious about so many things and troubled by so many trifles? Uh, Martha was in her manic mood here. <clears throat> Only one thing is really worthwhile. And since Mary has chosen this good and needful part, I shall not take it away from her. But when will both of you learn to live as I have taught you, both serving in cooperation and both refreshing your souls in unison? Can you not learn that there is a time for everything? That the lesser matters of life should not give way before the greater things of the heavenly kingdom. It's trying to teach Martha to be in time, God's timetable, not her own. She had to drop her agenda there. Jesus' uh, mother Mary and some of her family members often wanted to rush Jesus and say, hey, when are you going to let the public know what a great guy you are so that we can feel real important, wonderful, because we're part of your family? You know, basically, when are you going to show some miracles, show your power, flex your muscles, etc., etc.? Because they were moving in their agenda on their timetable. And Jesus says, I'm about my father's business, not yours. That's all he'd say, basically. 
So he moved in God's timetable and he frustrated them. He disappointed them. Same thing with the apostles. They were pulling their hair out because the master whom they loved so much was not doing what they wanted him to do. He wasn't flexing his muscles. He wasn't showing how powerful he was and how much greater. And of course, if he did, then they would be really important because they'd be in the top fraternity on the planet. Again, Jesus said, no, that's not the way God works. He doesn't do that. I'm not doing that. So even those closest to Jesus, his biological family, those dear apostles who loved him so much, many disciples too, they wanted to push him. They got in their manic states too. They, because, why? Because they weren't right in their minds. Because they didn't have the spiritual wisdom. They didn't have the revelation to know what really is God's timetable. So they were really caught and established in their own personal ideas of reality, and they hadn't relinquished them or let them go. Here then, let's ask this, our timing on relationships. I want you to think of a time when you've rushed into some relationship because you knew you had to have a lover. Okay, you just had to, because that's what the third dimension teaches us. We're not worthy unless we got someone you know, whether it's you go out to a nightclub just for the night and, and as it closes, there's that mad rush to find someone to take home <laughs> just for the night. Pretty pitiful, isn't it? But it, it, that happens. You go out, you can take notes, you can observe it and watch it happen. It's that fast, instant sex. No relationship there. And then you might get into a fleeting relationship out there, but the minute the person begins to be human or not quite meet up to what you think they should, they're dumped. Okay, those are, again is that fast paced stuff. I made the mistake in my own life of, of moving in my own timetable rather than God's. And ever since I was a little girl, I knew, I knew, and this isn't for everyone, but for me, I knew that God had one person, one man that he wanted me to be with. Now, I don't, that isn't for everyone. I think that God has different possibilities for, for some people. So I'm just speaking for myself. But I knew that since I was a little girl and that it was not appropriate for me in God's will for me to have boyfriends, blah, 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 all that. Well, I did really, really good up through um, probably a senior in college. And then I started thinking, well, gee, you know, I need to have a boyfriend. I, you know, I want this blah, blah, blah. And I always had lots of friends, male and female, but not the, the boyfriend. And then I started deviating a little, decided to get a little nervous, rush things. Well, I should have met this man along, you know, already. And I hadn't. And then when I was around 26 years old, I decided, my gosh, I haven't had any kids yet. You know, I want to have kids. I'm getting old. You know, that whole thing. And so I wanted to have a family. So I rushed. I had uh, about four choices, four different people that wanted to marry me. And I made a choice. It was this dumb choice? All of the choices would have been dumb. <laughs> but I made a choice. And so... I got married, and then I ended up, yes, I, I had three children, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, but it was a mistake. So I was 
within God's permissive will, but the consequences of making that rushing and everything held me back from meeting then Gabriel, that one man that God wanted me to be with in this life, held us back about 10 years, probably 10 or 8 years, something like that, because there is a possibility that we could have been brought together that much earlier. And let me tell you, God can do a lot in 10 years when two compliments come together that are supposed to be for us who know and have read continuing fifth epical revelation. So what happened with my timetable? I, I slowed down then God's timetable because he never, never works against our wills. And so for each one of us here, we have to learn and discern when it is God's timetable for us to slow down and not act on things that we think we should, but then when we should move quickly. I pointed out that Jessica was in God's timetable by moving quickly. How many of you have been here uh, two years or longer, and you are told by celestial over-control that your destiny is to be mandated, and they gave you a certain position, and you are not yet mandated? Okay. Are you moving in God's timetable? Maybe you're moving too slow. Maybe you're not moving fast enough. And so you need to look at that. Sometimes God wants you to move more quickly. What is it that you're holding back on? And those are things that you can ask you and God. And then for some of you who are here, well, I'm not mandated yet, or I'm not exactly where I should. What is your motives if you, I should already be stabilized on the third psychic circle. Why is she and I'm not? Those kinds of things. Maybe you're moving a little too quickly there, and you need to ask, what are your motives? Anytime we are not in God's timetable, we need to look at our motives, because our motives are not the highest. And we need to look at that. So we have to begin to discern on these things. Those are some of the questions that you need to ask yourselves. So the first thing you need to do when you get here is, of course, slow down, begin to breathe deeply, listen to God, begin to listen to your elders, do those things, begin to move out of that. But then, then guess what? We're asked to slow down and then we're asked to move fast. <laughs> and so it's knowing and discerning when am I moving too slowly and when am I moving too fast okay thank you Vanetics with Gabriel of Uranta and Neon Emerson Chase an ongoing series of lectures and teachings on spiritual leadership personal change and the principles of divine administration part of the curriculum of the University of Ascension Science and the Physics of Rebellion. More information can be found at uaspr.org.